Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. It's a pleasure to open the Word of God with you. I like positive examples. I like individuals that you can look at and just uh, emulate and, and live your life after. I find them to be very challenging. There's a book that I read recently called Seven Men by Eric Metaxas. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. He highlights seven different individuals from history. And I found it to be very challenging in the way that I live my own life to see how men have gone before me and lived theirs. Here in this passage, I think we have a good example of a Christian couple. We could say Christian, uh, obviously before the time of Christ, but a believing couple, a set of believing parents, and just believing individuals in general. A very positive example for us to follow. And uh, it might surprise you that these are the parents of no other than Samson, Samson's parents. And you might say to yourself, wait a second, I would not expect the parents of Samson to be individuals that we are to look after, people that we are to emulate. Because if you think of Samson's life, you know he did some pretty crazy things. Sometimes he was following the Lord and doing what he was supposed to, and other times he was just acting out of pure anger. So of all individuals that I could come before you Uh, with this morning. I'm choosing Samson's parents, but yet I think they are a positive example for us to follow. So as we're here and as we have an opportunity to study the Word of God together, it's my hope that I can change your thinking on this. If you've gone into this passage before, reading it just thinking, oh, these parents must not have done their job because of the way Samson turned out, I want to change your mind on that, okay? As far as it depended upon them, I think they're a pretty good couple, a pretty good pair. And I want to change your thinking, and I want to challenge you also, not just to change the way you view this passage, but encourage you to live after their example. Uh, They're not perfect, not perfect by any means as we look at this, but I believe this couple is highlighted by the Bible in a positive way. In this story that we've just read, and I know it's tough for us to think back on the story that we just heard read to us and now have a certain... uh, goal in mind. I should have told you the goal before we started to read the scriptures, but nevertheless, um, I think we, we can read this story again and look at it afresh and see in this passage many positive reasons why we should look to these individuals and seek to emulate them. These two individuals are visited by an angel, and you know many times in scripture when somebody's visited by an angel, the person doesn't respond well. Either that person laughs or doesn't believe or asks for a sign. But in this case, when an angel appears to these two individuals, both of them believe. And for that reason and many others, I think Samson's parents are some of the most underappreciated individuals in the Bible. I want to change your thinking about them today. I'm going to go and give away my conclusion here ahead of time. And normally in preaching, you're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to build up to this grand finale. But I'm just going to give away my main point, if I may. I think they can give us encouragement um, as parents, as a couple, that even in times where we might feel like we have failed, um, God still can regard us as people of faith. Or even if we are parents and we see our children not going the direction that we want them to, or disappointed in the path that they've chosen, That doesn't necessarily mean that we've failed as parents. I think we can learn that as well from this example. So what I'd like to do this morning is not just go verse by verse, because it is a long passage that we read. What I want to do is just take bits and pieces here and there from the passage as we read it. And I want to first talk about Samson's mother, who is unnamed, unfortunately. We don't know her name. 
And I want to talk about Samson's father. And then I will look at the two together and see what we can learn from each of them and them as a couple and see ways that we can emulate them, reasons why we should view them as positive individuals. So we're going to jump around a bit, but follow along with me. Hopefully you have your Bible still open, and we'll explore this passage together. First, let's study this um, woman who's described. Again, she's unnamed, which is, which is a shame. We don't know what her name is, uh, but this is the wife of Manoah, uh, the mother of Samson. How do we know that she's a person of faith? How do we know that this is a positive example that we're seeing rather than a negative one? Well, first we see her faith in action, in that when this angel first visits her, she can immediately tell that he is sent from God. Look at verse 6 of Judges 13. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. Now, I'd like to point out that I don't think she knows that this messenger is an angel yet. She's saying he's like an angel, but she's trying to describe to her husband what exactly he's like, okay? Um, And the reason we know this, that they're not exactly set on a conclusion yet, is because if you jump ahead to verse 16, at the end of the verse, it says very clearly, for Manoah did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. She was trying her best to explain who this was, but they're working out together what exactly it is that she saw. Um, That shows us. Verse 16, just as in other Old Testament passages when an angel appears, that the messenger didn't have anything about him that was a dead giveaway, that this was an angel. For example, he had no wings. He had no halo over his head. For the most part, he looked just like a regular man. So all those uh, paintings that you normally see of angels, I'm sorry to say, uh, most of them are wrong, okay? Angels didn't have wings. They didn't have a halo. They, they, you know, they looked like ordinary individuals. Um, and that's how we see them described in other portions of Scripture. So if you think about when Lot um, allowed two individuals from Sodom to enter into his house, uh, he didn't recognize them to be angels either. They just looked like ordinary individuals. But yet there's something different about this, this person. And so she's describing um, this to her husband, and I don't know what she thought. She might have assumed that it was an angel. She might have assumed it was a prophet. We don't know. But she's saying to her husband, there's something different about this man, but yet she's still not sure if he's just an ordinary guy. She said, I don't, I don't know what his name is. He didn't tell me his name, um, but there was something different. And this is really important for us to remember, by the way, because this is a time when God had forsaken his people where there are uh, Israelites who are worshiping other gods all over the place, the surrounding gods, the gods of their neighbors in other nations. So the fact that this woman would go and say, I was visited by somebody in this time, in this place, and say, you know, he might be an angel of God, shows an incredible amount of perception. Okay, One of the reasons I think that this woman is to be praised Even though she didn't know exactly who this visitor was, she at least had the faith to believe that it was somebody sent from God. And that's a good start. That's a good start. It's remarkable given that many other men in Scripture were visited by angels but had no idea that their guests were anyone special at all. And so one way we're going to explore this passage this morning is by comparing it to other individuals that we see in Scripture that react in similar circumstances. You know, we often think of Lot as uh, somebody who responded positively. Pastor just mentioned him in uh, one of his uh, What Does Righteousness Look Like series uh, messages. And he said Lot was an example of hospitality when the men of Sodom uh, just wanted to violate these men. 
But yet, notice that even in that example, Lot didn't understand who it was that he was welcoming into his house. This woman has more perception than Lot did. Okay, so let that sink in for a second. Her perception goes beyond many other individuals in Scripture. A second way we can tell this woman is a person of faith is that she declares this messenger was the tr- sent by the true God, even though many people in her day would have been worshiping false gods. So just a few chapters before, in Judges 10, if you just want to keep your finger here in 13, and flip back to chapter 10, verse 6, okay? Keep your your hand in in the passage we're at. Keep a bookmark there. Judges 10, verse 6, tells us that the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtra. This is Judges 10, 6. The gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Amorites, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. That's the climate the woman was living in. Yet when this visitor comes, she doesn't attribute it to Baal, she doesn't attribute it to Ashtoreth or any other god, rather she worships the true God of Israel. Number three, a third way that we can see this woman demonstrating faith is that she believes the angel, even though she probably had many questions about who he was and what he said. So think about it this way. She doesn't even know who this man is. She doesn't even know his name. He never identifies himself. Yet she believes his word and immediately goes and shares this news with her husband. This angel just told her that after who knows how many years of being barren, she is going to have a son. Does she laugh like Sarah and Abraham did in Genesis 18? No, not at all. Does she lay out a fleece like Gideon did, a man who so doubted that God would be with him that he asked God to prove it twice with the sign of a wet fleece? So I just want, again, to put this in perspective. We think of all these holy individuals. We think of Sarah and we think of Abraham as godly individuals. We look up to them. We think of Gideon as this man of strength, this judge who ruled over Israel. She responds better than both of them, than all of them. Um, She doesn't test what, what is uh, being said. She doesn't laugh. She doesn't say, that's ridiculous. There's no way I could have a, a, a child at this age. No. Um, she doesn't even respond like Zechariah in the New Testament, who when he was told that his wife would give birth to John the Baptist, he said, Luke chapter 1, verse 18, how shall I know that this is true? So when you think about this woman, in contrast to, again, all these individuals we just mentioned, And how they responded in similar situations, you realize, wow, here we are actually looking at a woman of considerable faith. She accepts what the angel says with very little knowledge of who he is or what he's about or why he's there without even needing to ask these questions. Fourth way that we can tell this woman is truly righteous and a person we can look up to is that she keeps her husband in the loop by communicating all of this to him. Look at verse 6 now. Flip back to chapter 13 if you're not there already. Verse 6, then the woman came and told her husband. says it very clearly. That shows that she's submissive to Manoah. She loves him. She doesn't just keep this to herself. But even more than that, she trusts him. She desires to share everything with him. They communicate well. They're in this together. And by the way, she responds that way twice in this story. First in verse 6, then look down also in verses 9 and 10. The other time that she's visited by this angel, it says, And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. 
but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So, verse 10, the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. Again, she's not selfish. She's not keeping this to herself. She shares all this with her husband. They're in this together. They're a godly couple, I'd say. Finally, the last reason we know this woman is a person of faith is that she's content with what the angel has told her. So again, just pause and think about what's happening in this story. The angel told her in verse 5, No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This angel essentially told her that the child will be devoted to the Lord all of his life, and yet she's not saddened by that. You think back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, where a similar thing happens. And you have Hannah learning that she's going to give birth and that her child, Samuel, was going to be dedicated to the Lord. That essentially this meant that once he was old enough, he would go and live in the temple for the rest of his life. Here, this woman, who again is nameless to us, is being told a similar kind of thing. You're going to be given a child, but this child is going to be dedicated to the Lord for the rest of his life. And he's going to have these kinds of regulations and he's going to have to serve the Lord in this way and and, and it kind of stops there. It actually doesn't give us very many of those details, but what she knows, she accepts. She responds in the same way Hannah did in 1 Samuel 1. And we think of Hannah as being somebody who was a prayerful person, somebody who was submissive to God's will, who said, God, if that's what you want to do with my son Samuel, so be it. We're having the same thing happen here. She's told very little, and yet she, she responds gladly, happily. She accepts it. She also reminds me of somebody else in the Bible, in the New Testament, in fact. Reminds me of Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, who was visited by an angel also. And she said in Luke 1.38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the attitude that this woman has here in Judges 13. So basically everything we know about how this woman responded was righteous. She is a person of of faith. Those are the only details we're really given about her, and everything that she does seems to be in keeping with that. What about her husband? Is her husband also a person of faith? Initially, when I read this passage, I thought, okay, we have this woman of faith, this, this wife, and she's amazing. She's responding in every way possible that you can, uh, but what about her husband? Maybe he's more of a, a, of a dope, okay? And maybe he's like the, the dummy who doesn't get it all. She's, she's very perceptive. He doesn't get it. But then, actually, my mind got changed about him as well. And I think he is a positive example of faith as well. And I got to give credit to, you know, whenever you preach, you're supposed to cite, or, you know, when you write a paper, you have to do the footnotes and everything like that. Well, if there was a footnote to the sermon, I'd have to put Sarah's name to it because this was through a conversation with her, so... Um, I appreciate the conversation we had about this together, and she said, no, I think he actually is a positive example, and we got to looking at it again, and sure enough, um, I'd like to show you how Manoah um, is also an example of faith as well. Number one, when Manoah first hears the news that his wife brings him, his immediate reaction is to pray, to pray. So look back at verse six. Now we're going to shift gears, look at Manoah. We already saw how she reacted. What does he do? Verse 6, it tells us that the woman immediately went to tell her husband, and then after she has finished relaying this conversation to him, in verse 8, we see his first reaction. Verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let this man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. 
So how often do we do that? You know, when we, when we hear wonderful news, when, when do you respond in prayer? Have you ever thought to do that? You know, when something really exciting happens. I mean, you run and tell your spouse, maybe you run and tell your kids, you share your news with your friends. How many times do we remember to pray? That's, that's a good response right there. It's something we should emulate, something we should do. Second reason Manoah should be viewed as a good man is that he believes his wife. That's easy to overlook or take for granted, but consider this. When this angel visits the woman, her husband isn't there. And this actually happens twice in the story. Once in verse 3, and then if you look down again in verse 9. In both occasions where he appears, this angel, the husband isn't initially there. And he could have very easily said, oh, you're just, you know, you're just daydreaming, you're just hallucinating, you're seeing things. It was an ordinary guy. You know, it, was, it was nothing special. Um, just let it go. You know? It could have been like, like Eli in the temple, in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, when you know, Samuel says, somebody's calling me, and he said, just go back to your room. You know? he, didn't, he didn't get it. He didn't know that the Lord was calling to Samuel. It took him a while to figure it out. This man doesn't respond that way. He believes her. Um, you can think also about how the apostles reacted when the, the women came back from the tomb in Luke 24, claiming Jesus was alive. Listen to these words, and you don't have to turn there. Luke chapter 24, verses 9 through 11. And returning from the tomb, it says, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with him that told him these things. That is the apostles. But, and here's the key verse, verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So you see, even in that story, we just celebrated the resurrection last week, and and in that passage, in all these passages we could consider from the Gospels, when the women run back and tell the apostles, and we look up to these men, don't we? We think, oh, the apostles, they were these godly individuals. They don't believe them. They don't have the faith to say, no, that, that really happened, or that Jesus raised just like he promised he would. They don't believe these women. And here, Manoah does the exact opposite. He believes his wife, he believes what she says to him. Another example, again, just to throw this in contrast to other things that we see in the Bible, Acts chapter 12. When he, that is Peter, realized this, okay, this is when Peter is um, released from jail, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where there were many gathered together praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And verse 15 says, they said to her, you are out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I bring all of this up because Manoah could have easily had the same reaction. Oh, you saw an angel? Yeah, sure you did. Right. Okay. But he didn't. That's not how he responded. He believed, even without seeing that God had visited them. Third reason I believe that we should look at Manoah and think of a godly example is because of the content of his prayer. Not one of disbelief, but one of wisdom. Listen to Judges 13.8. And this was the biggest part that I had to change in my thinking as I read this passage uh, previously when I read it months ago. Verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let this man of God whom you sent come again to teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. You see, initially, I said, 
I, I didn't really view this in a positive light because I, I read that and I thought, oh, he's just asking for a sign. He's saying, oh, you, you visited my wife, but if you're really here, God, if you're really going to send an angel, could you do it one more time just so I could see it, just so you could prove yourself to me because I'm not sure if I believe my wife on this. That's how I used to view it. But then after I read it again, talked with Sarah, we were talking about this passage together, I realized it's actually quite the opposite. For the reason that Manoah is asking for a second visit from the angel is not because he doesn't believe him, but rather because he wants to follow the angel's instructions more fully. You see, his wife has just been told that they're going to have a child. She's going to give birth to somebody important. He's going to be one of the judges. And so Manoah is essentially praying this. Listen to this. I'm paraphrasing here. Since my son is going to become the savior of the Israelites from the Philistines, what can we do to prepare him? What can we do to prepare him? He's not saying, God, I'd like another visit so you can prove that this is really real or that this actually happened. If you look again back at verse 8, he says, O Lord, please let this man of God whom you've sent come to us again and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. He's not saying, is this really going to happen? Is he really going to be important? He's saying, no, I take that, and I believe that. I believe he's going to be important. What can we do as parents? How can we prepare him? How can we best accompany this plan that God has? This shows Manoah's faith in God's promise, I think, because it isn't as if that he's asking if it's going to happen. He's asking, he's taking that at face value and saying, what can we do to get him ready? So Manoah believes this promise just as his wife does. We see that further down in the story, if you look to verse 12 now, when he says, when your words come true, when your words come true. He's not saying if your words come true, but when, so that we may honor you. Manoah believed God. Without asking for an additional sign, he believed God just as Abraham did, and it was counted to him as righteousness, even without seeing. He didn't even see this angel yet, and he believed fourth thing we can notice about Manoah was that he was a hospitable man, even though he didn't know the identity exactly of his visitor. Manoah didn't know that this was an angel, as we already observed in verse 16. He's still assuming that this was a prophet. But even though he wasn't sure of his exact identity, he desired to honor and welcome this messenger. That's why he prepares this young goat for him. Verse 15 says, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. This doesn't have anything to do with sacrifice. You read that and you think, oh, he's going to offer a sacrifice. But it doesn't. It's actually saying that he's, he's prepared to, to offer a meal for this man. He wants him to stay at his house. He wants to talk with him, welcome him, be hospitable to him. Again, he doesn't know that this is an angel, so it has nothing to do with sacrifice. But it shows that hospitality, as Pastor mentioned again months ago in this whole series, that Hospitality is a part of true righteousness. He doesn't turn this man away. He welcomes him. Fifth, and and this is the last way we can tell Manoah was a righteous man, and then we'll move on to them as a couple. He was somebody that we can look up to in the fact that he worshipped God. Once the angel turns down the meal, um, Manoah offers a young goat and grain offering instead. And this is an act of obedience to the messenger, what the messenger tells him to do. And it's also an act of worship to God. Manoah honors God through his obedience to what the angel tells him. What do we do with them as a couple? So we saw the the woman, we saw the man. How do we view them as a couple? 
just a few observations and then we'll get to the conclusion of all this. I think they're righteous as a couple in the way they respond. Not just individually, what this woman does on her own, what this man does on her own, but notice now how they react. Number one, Manoah and his wife reveal God by bowing down on their faces when the angel vanishes. So now we're getting towards the end of the story. Look to verse 20, and we see that after Manoah offered this sacrifice, verse 20, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. They both worshiped together. Secondly, Manoah and his wife show great insight about this identity, the identity of this visitor. That is, they talk about these things together, you know, um, and we can, we can demonstrate the same kind of thing in our own relationships as husbands and wives when we have spiritual conversations about things of God. Look down at 21. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to uh, Manoah, excuse me, it's a tongue twister, Manoah and his wife, and then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Then look ahead to verse 22. Manoah says to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But then she responds back in verse 23, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. So what's neat is you're getting just a glimpse of their conversation together. You understand that the Bible doesn't have every single word recorded by every single person. So we're getting an abridged version of everything that these, these individuals talked about. But what you can tell from what we are revealed about them is that they talk about spiritual things together. And I think that's a true um, you know, value of, of a husband and wife. It's something that we should do together as couples. Um, not just talk about you know things that are of passing value, you know, like sports and hobbies and whatever. And those things are good for us to talk about as couples. But here they go a step further, and they're talking about discussing what happened, sharing information with one another. He's saying, you know, we should be dead. We've just, we've just seen God. And she kind of informs him a little bit more and says, no, you know what? If God wanted to do that, he would have killed us already. <laughs> We're okay. We're safe. I don't think he's going to kill us. You know, and it seems like, like a kind of funny conversation to us, but they're talking about spiritual things. They're informing one another. They're working all this out. Lastly, it's clear that they are righteous parents because they both desire to follow the angel's instructions. So for one thing, the angel told them what they must do for their child, and they shared that responsibility together. But also later in Samson's life, we can tell that the parents followed God's instructions because they didn't cut Samson's hair. And Samson was apparently aware of this command when he was later deceived by Delilah. Apparently, they passed this knowledge on to their son. You know, this angel gives this woman these instructions. She says, you're not, you're not supposed to do this or this or this. And he tells Manoah, you're to help her with that. Help her to, to fulfill those commands. Make sure your wife doesn't do these things that I've told her. They're in this together. They're a team. They work together. And you can see, even though, even though later in life, Samson isn't ultimately going to follow what his parents told them to do. We, we know he still remembers what they've commanded him about his hair, about all these different things. He knows he was to be set aside, and that shows they communicated something to him. As far as it depended on them, we see from the outset, from the start, they desired to raise him in the right way. So there you have it. That's the story of Samson's parents. 
And if you look in the rest of Judges, you're not going to find a whole lot about them, except for the fact that later on, Samson's going to ask for a wife from the Philistines, and they're not really too happy about it. And you could debate back and forth, well, did they really do enough to stop him from from getting a wife from the Philistines? Should they have stopped him further? Should they have just put their foot down? Or was he just an older adult and there wasn't much they could do? We can't really speculate a whole lot about that. And plus, their appearance in that story is really tiny. If you want to know about what these individuals were about, here's where you go. Chapter 13. And I'm telling you that everything that we see in this chapter is meant to be positive. Everything that they were instructed to do, they did. Everything that they were shown, even in a limited way, they obeyed and believed. And as such, I think we can look at these individuals as positive examples for us. So the real question here is, if I've convinced you, and I don't know if I have or not, but hopefully I, I have, if I've convinced you that these individuals are people we should emulate, how can we mimic them? What can we do? Well, first of all, don't be afraid of obscurity. That's one lesson I'd say. Because I said from the beginning, Samson's mother is nameless. But you know what's cool? She's still in this book. And God knows her. We don't know what her name is. But God does. And now forever, till the end of time, till Jesus returns, we're going to remember her for her acts of faith and her deeds of obedience through this story. You know, does the idea of obscurity scare you? You know, do you think of like the idea of you getting to the end of your life and nobody really knowing who you are? Or, you know, the, uh, the idea of maybe being forgotten as time goes on? Your faith is what you leave to your children. It's what you leave to your friends. It's what you leave to your grandchildren. And even if your name is not remembered in generations to come, this is what matters. Her name is not written down, but God knows her. And we know her. And that's what's most important. Second way I think we could uh, emulate these individuals is that we could be people of faith. Both of these individuals believed God. They took him at his word. They trusted him. We should do the same. Third, we should be people of prayer. I said already that as they reacted to these things, their first instinct was to pray and to to thank God and to to seek him in all these things. Their, Their reactions were to pray and worship. That's what they did. If you're married, how can you uh, emulate these individuals? Well, you can talk to your spouse about spiritual things, not just about meaningless things, not just about trivial things, things of significance. From what we know of this couple, that's what they did as well. Number five, we can commit to making our household one where God is honored. We see here from everything that we're given that Manoah and his wife desired to raise their son according to the instructions that God gave them. And while Samson many times acted in a way that was contrary to God's intention, we can see that his parents desired to raise him in the way that God instructed. There's always a balance here. Of course, we're to do everything in our power to raise our kids in the way of the Lord, right? And as far as it depends on us, we're to do everything that we can. But yet, we also acknowledge that our children's hearts aren't in our hands. If we really believe what the Scripture says then we know that it's only through the Holy Spirit that they can come to believe and be changed themselves. So with that balance in mind, we recognize that Samson's parents, at least everything that we know about them in this big portion of Scripture, these 25 verses, they did what they were supposed to. As far as we can tell, they tried to raise Samson the way that they knew how. And everything else was on him. Was on him. Were they perfect? No. Again, 
We could argue back and forth about how they handled the thing with his wife that's later on. We didn't even get into that. None of us are perfect. But we can take comfort as we read this passage that if we seek to honor the Lord in our parenting, in the way that we raise our kids, in the way that we seek to be godly couples, then God will honor that. God will see that. Last lesson, and I'll close with this, is that we should be different in the midst of an evil generation. Remember that Manoah and his wife were surrounded by Israelites who forsook God. They showed faith in a time where few did. And isn't that a lot like the the world we're living in now? Where Christians are very much in the minority, believing Christians, ones who are truly saved. You talk about evangelicals, and that number is far larger, I think, than those who have actually placed their, their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we're living in a similar godless age. Be different. Stand out. Be different in the way that you live in contrast to the world around you. Those are some of the ways we can mimic the example we see here. Practice righteousness as an individual. Practice righteousness as a couple. Practice righteousness as a parent. Be godly in whatever God entrusts to your care. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use this passage this morning in our own lives. Help us to look to godly examples when we think of how to behave as individuals or as couples or as parents. Uh, God, we see an encouraging example here in that the little that you revealed to these two individuals, they were faithful in what they were revealed. God, may the same be true of us. May we not idolize the people that the world would have us idolize. May we look to godly examples. May we be those godly examples. Help us as we seek to parent. Help us as we seek to love our spouses and our children. And God, help us to live righteously as individuals. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.